Good day to you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Film Focus, episode 72, The Pros and Cons of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, part 2. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, once again, how you doing? This is your host, the Hypersonic 55, and I'm glad you decided to join me once again for another episode of Film Focus. And as you heard from the title of the episode, this is part two of our two-part episode based on talking about the pros and cons of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, what are you doing, mate? Go check that out. Me and Drew had a heck of a lot of fun talking about all of our favorite aspects of the MCU so far. But now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the things that we don't like or think that could have been done better. It's a shorter discussion, but it's still a good one. So without further ado, we're going to jump right back in. And now we're going to move into the cons. And ooh, boy. Now, I will try to be as objective as possible, but I'm not going to lie. I'm going to let some of my bias show here. So, um, mate, this is going to be fun. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. We're going to talk about one of the most notable elements when it comes to one of the uh, issues that people have with, um, you know, villains when it comes to the MCU films. And we're talking about villains. The bad use of villains slash killing them off. Now, we've mentioned some of the notable villains that we like, but there's a number of them who are, you know, either dull, boring, unmemorable, and I have been inclined to agree with some of them. Now, I feel like some of the characters are just like, you know, a bit of uh, wasted potential. You know, you have certain actors of notoriety who come in to do some of these roles and they're just not very well utilized. So you have um, characters like Whiplash or Ronan the Accuser or Malekith who's just a whole load of nothing, oh my gosh. You have Yellow Jacket, who I actually kind of like, but just wasn't executed that well in terms of like his arc. Even Ultron, who I like somewhat, but overall he just felt very... Ugh. I just don't feel like his character was utilized the best. I mean, or maybe he was. He just... I wasn't overly keen. He left not much of an impression once it was over. He was there during the film and he had certain moments, but I think it's because of the comedic aspect of him that just sort of turned me off a little bit. Not saying that uh, villains can't have humor, but yeah, Ultron was there and gone. Even Ghost from um, the recent Ant-Man and the Wasp film, she was a much better character than um, Yellowjacket, but at the same time, I still feel like she was just a bit meh of a character as well not much of a lasting impression yeah there's a certain times where there's characters who are there and they just sort of um come and disappear and kevin feige's always said that the villains in the film are there to help further the protagonist story and i can understand that but sometimes they're just there just to appear and disappear and they all just and they all die and i understand that some of these characters cannot be left to live because obviously they're going around like you know with the intent of killing and doing a whole lot of crazy dangerous stuff on mass scales but at least i don't know 70 to 80 percent of the uh, villains that showing up in the marvel cinematic universe have just uh died or disappeared and you're just like oh, oh. 
so one of the things you just said is actually an argument that I have as to why some of the villains are okay to be bad, or I shouldn't say bad, why they're okay to be not as well fleshed out. Mm -hmm. Because they exist to further the heroes. So, like, the, my, like my, big, my biggest example of this is Ronan the Accuser in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. The whole point of that movie is to bring an ensemble team together. So when you have an ensemble team, very rarely do you have time to also develop your, your villain. So at that point, you, your villain becomes a means to get the team together. So, like, I, I guess two exceptions to this are Loki and the Avengers... But at that point, it kind of doesn't, it doesn't really matter because we had we already had his character development in another movie. Yeah. Um, but another example to, to to go against what I just said is is Magneto in the uh, X Men movies uh, because then he he's he's like one of the best ones, right? Like he's a Killmonger or Thanos, and in and that you can empathize with him. Yeah. Uh, but. For the most part, any other ensemble movies doesn't is, isn't going to have the time or or the ability to try to develop their villain. So they got to focus on the heroes, and unfortunately, that means our villain is going to be on the side of the road, if you will. And and I I've heard this argument for a while, like early on in Phase Two, or since Phase Two, it's been kind of going around, if not even sooner. And when I heard it, I was like, it didn't really bother me that much, like about the about these villains kind of being like one-dimensional and the same, until Yellow Jacket. Like when they got to Yellow Jacket, I just feel that was the most wasted potential that they've had at that time, because yeah. they could have done such a good mirror to um, Scott Lang, as both the hero and villains had had the mentor of the older Atman. Right, uh, so so you, so you kind of could have seen this like different path of like how one became the villain and one became the hero by having the same experience and having the same mentor, but they didn't do that, or at least they I think they tried, but they did it horribly. Yeah, and yeah. And, so, and so that's kind of when it really started bothering me that they weren't doing more with their characters, or at least with their villains anyway. And and one other thing that that's a very similar theme. Especially in Phase One, and really, honestly, most most of them, yeah. Until until they get out to sequels, is that the heroes are mirrors, or sorry, the the villains are mirrors of the heroes. Yeah. Um. So like like the Yellow Jacket is pretty much an evil Ant Man. Uh. In both Iron Man One and Two, the villains are evil Iron Man. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and, oh, in in Hulk, it's it's an evil Hulk. Like yeah. they're all the same. And it's not until we get into like the sequels, like say Iron Man three with with the Mandarin or the ex, with the extremist guys, or in in Civil War, I guess we kind of have each other. That I guess that was kind of a bad example, but but, but you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah, it's not yeah. until they get either either a into like the second or third entries of a character, or like half like halfway through Phase two and into Phase three, like like did we re did we really start to see a difference in? Uh, between a hero and a villain and not just a mirror of each other. Yeah. And then I think, to bring up Ultron, like you said, I, I think, for me, kind of one, one of my disappointments with him was that knowing how big he, he is in the comics, like, he hasn't been around as much recently, but yeah. for the longest time, like, he was a pretty big villain, a recurring villain in the comics, especially for the Avengers. And, and to kind of see him be, like, this one-off, like, that was kind of 
disappointing to me. I think he was done great. I th I think that um, I can't remember the actor name, but he did. Oh, Jane Spader. Uh, yeah, Spader. Like he he did great. Like when he when they first announced him, I was like, that's a perfect pick. Yeah, definitely. To play Ultron because because he was doing uh, at the time he had just started with uh, the Blacklist. And yeah, he was, that show. Yeah. He he was kind of like uh, he was he was, he was like a villain doing good in that show i don't know if you've ever seen it yeah i've uh, seen a few episodes. but yeah but he like yeah like he when they said that i was like that's that's spot on so um just to see him kind of wasted that way was kind of i wasn't too happy about that no i get that um yeah another thing that um uh, has been part of the conversation in terms of like uh, mcu cons is no significant character deaths now this is a thing that somewhat bothers me but also doesn't I guess it just depends on the film but I can understand where certain people are coming from besides like you know was it the uh, no offense obligatory death of like you know certain character mentors or friends as like the films have gone on none of the main characters of the MCU cast have ever like you know died or been in uh, you know at death's door we've had a few people who have died but came back Phil Coulson died in The Avengers, but then came back in, um, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Nick Fury died, supposedly, in uh, Winter Soldier, but then he came back. And Loki um, <laughs> looked like he died at least twice, falling into that black hole in, uh, was it, at the end of Thor, and then, like, you know, was it at that point in Thor The Dark World, we looked like, he looked like he died again. But no, he's back. So, um we've seen him die this time and with that Loki series we have no clue where it places in the timeline but if Loki comes back I will be happy to see him but at the same time it'll just be like oh, I kinda want you to be dead and with uh, obviously the whole snapping um, in Infinity War, there's number there's a number of those characters that you knew weren't gonna disappear just because, logically, from a financial point of view and just from a fan point of view, some of these people would just be gutted and just insane to get rid of, considering that some of their careers have only just started in their own solo films, aka Black Panther and Spider Man. With death, it's only sort of like related to certain characters, like you know, uh, mentors and family members. Like uh, Thor's mother is gone, Odin is gone. Like I said before, Yin said, um, and uh, Professor Erskine is gone. Peggy Carter dying was sad, although I don't know if I felt the full effect of that as much as I would have liked. I think if we'd seen her, like, you know, actually perish on screen, that would have been possibly a little bit more effective, but I don't write films, so I don't really know what I'm talking about. But yeah, no significant character deaths. That's a issue that I see in many forums all the time, and I'm just like, I can kind of see where they're coming from. So, a couple of things here. Yes. Um, <laughs> one, I guess my defense against that complaint, like, while I agree with it, it's a lot of that has to do with the source material. I mean, like, like death is very temporary in a lot of comic books these days. Oh, yeah. I... So, it's just, it's just taking from the source material. And it's the same as, like, when people complain about the structures of these superhero movies. Like, how at the end it's, like, just a giant slugfest between the hero and the villain. It's like, well, that's what a lot of comic book arcs end up being, like, in the final issues. It's just a giant fight between the hero and the villain a lot of times. So it's just a flaw in the source material, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, I don't think that the that the movies had to take that from the comics 
but they did and it's again it's just a thing in the source material i don't mind unlasting character deaths if they're within the same movie like in winter soldier or in thor the dark thor the dark world like they died and came back all within the same movie like that like and they weren't real deaths they were faked deaths right I, i'm a little more forgiving on that yeah um but i think for the overall arcs of these characters across all of these movies i do think that some that there should have been some more impactful deaths that either a stayed or b happened so that's just unfortunate that they haven't really for lack of a better term been ballsy enough to do that yeah, yeah, um, and and I, I think it's a little less with as you started to touch on. It, it's actually it's kind of what I had written down for for these notes was uh, yeah. I I don't think it's really a, um, a lack of of a good character death or a significant character death. It's more or less a, a lack of stakes because I mean I know that people say that like Civil War changed things and like that you know it changed things between Tony and and Steve and. But did it really? I mean, like, we know that, like, in a couple movies, that Infinity War was going to happen, and that they were going to come together and fight Thanos together, and, you know, make up in order to fight this greater good. So, like, while it left an impact for a little while, we knew eventually it was going to come undone, and and, and they were going to be buddy-buddy again. Yeah. And, and, and there's other, you know, instances like that throughout the all the MCU. So it, it's just, it's not, it's not just a lack of character death it's really just a lack of stakes in general like really until the until the snapping quote unquote yeah like there there's there that's there's been no big stakes that have happened i mean in the i guess the only other big one that i can think of is when um when hydra was r- revealed to have infested shield but even that didn't affect the movies very much like i mean even by age of ultron they f- they were finished with Hydra, right? Like that, like they were done with that as soon, like within what a couple movies. Yeah. And, and, and like the only thing it really affected was Agents of Shield, the TV show. Yeah, because there was no like major repercussions for that. Really, it was just a case of yeah. oh yeah, like um, it was a significant significant event for that film and a bit of Agents of Shield. But by the time see uh, you know the other film would come along, oh yeah, we're taking out the rest of Hydra and like Shield is somehow like you know had like some secret man equ- uh, equipment. So that they could use to help like uh, Sokovia when like that city like you know almost gone and dropped on the planet so it was just like yeah no, no long term effects there oh okay exactly the next one speaking of uh, Age of S.H.I.E.L.D. is two points I wanted to go back and basically combine into one which is basically the uh, lack of back and forth connectivity and lack of acknowledgement uh, slash integration of the TV universes now Back in 2013, we had the emergence of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was basically the first sort of television-based spin-off from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which was focusing on the resurrection of uh, Agent Phil Coulson, who was obviously killed in Avengers, but was brought back in um, this show. He acquired a a new team, and they would go on random adventures, uh, you know, was it doing S.H.I.E.L.D.-based stuff. And at the time, I think a lot of us were excited because we were aware of S.H.I.E.L.D., especially those who read the comics, but I think because of the way in which they'd been portrayed in the films, they seemed like an organization that was sort of almost covert, covert, but still, like, you know, existed in plain sight, and they had all these fancy gadgets, they clearly were, you know, was it 
well versed around the world so they'd have like you know I guess more action spy based adventures but when the show came out I guess it just wasn't what everybody had expected slash hoped for and it took that show a good while to find its feet in terms of like uh, the character interaction the dialogue the stories it wasn't until I guess like the latter half of the first season especially towards the point where you know it had to cross over with uh, Captain America with the soldier with the sh- uh, Hydra stuff when the show started to get interesting and from season two things started to get a little bit more interesting with the introduction of the Inhumans and then season three happened and there was all this other sort of stuff and Progressively, the show sort of grew to become its own sort of thing and then only have minor crossovers with the films. The main issue was with the Age of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show was it was a show that uh, responded to the films, but there was never any feedback from the films acknowledging the TV show. And, you know, to a degree, I can understand the films have their own, like, you know, was it a course that, like, Kevin Feige and all these other sort of people have, like, you know, constructed. So... Um, I know that there were numerous interviews over the years about like whether there would be um, you know a crossover between the uh, films and TV shows, and while there were certain characters that showed up in you know the films and then to TV and then back to the films again, it was never anybody from the TV shows that went to film and then backwards. So there was never any acknowledgement about any uh, story crossovers, any character crossovers, and once the Netflix shows came along they presented a whole new ballpark of uh, you know questionable things as well because they all sort of took place just after the avengers so they refer to the uh, you know the attack of new york as the incident but you only had a handful of references during the uh, first run of like daredevil and like uh, uh, Jessica Jones and I think there might have been some stuff in Luke Cage though I can't recall but by the time Iron Fist had come around everybody had all but forgotten about like the uh, MCU there was next to no references or none really by the time you got to season 2 of most of those shows and there was a lot of people asking if these films take place in the same universe then why is there no back and forth and obviously it was um a lot of background related stuff with like um, you know the television division and the film division like not so much uh, getting along eventually they ended up splitting off so then they reported to different people but also beyond that the Netflix shows were obviously a lot darker and more adult than the MCU so to have those characters cross over while not impossible there would be a lot of uh, you know restrictions on them if they were to show up in the films and yeah there would just be a whole load of like palaver that I feel like you know was it Marvel Studios just wouldn't want to you know get into so um, yeah just once you started to notice especially by the time you got to I think maybe season 3 of Angel's Shield that there wasn't really any proper crossover these shows eventually just ended up becoming like you know just this uh, singular thing that reacted to the films but never had any actual acknowledgement from them and the same thing happened to the uh, Netflix shows as well and as a universe that was supposedly all connected there just wasn't that much of a tangible connection between them besides like you know just some odd comments and certain visual references here and there in the TV shows and it just sort of sucked to have like this cohesive universe just feel a little fractured and then just become completely severed. To play devil's advocate again a lot of that came from the production schedules though because if you know how movies are made 
like they take a good two to three years to make like like whether you like once you start pre-production to finishing post-production like that takes a, that process takes a while oh yeah whereas tv shows like all like you only have to plan a couple months in ahead so the movies can't really predict where the tv shows are going to be right um i mean it's i actually forgot that they kind of end up splitting off from each other until you just said that but it's part of the reason why you kind of have one person overseeing everything is to kind of allow allow that be like okay this is where these are going to go this is where these are going to go here's how they can meet up here if we need to so that's part of the reason why that didn't happen but again i agree with you that that should have i would have have liked to see that i honestly think there's there could have been more of a connection between agents of shield and the netflix shows because i mean like once these superheroes start popping up on like even though it's kind of more like a local neighborhoods like harlem or uh, hell's kitchen and, and whatnot like if these kind of people start showing up and taking essentially like a vigilante status like they're gonna like be noticed by shield so i could have seen like colson or daisy or, or whomever else kind of come in and and show up for an episode or two or even like or maybe in in agents of shield but like hey we need a person that does this like we need a bulletproof person and i'm going to say like Hey Luke Cage, can you come help us with this mission and whatnot? So yeah. I think I think there like could have been more of a connection between like the television series versus the Netflix series um, than those with the movies. But like they could have done something like Infinity War. I mean, granted, it's as big as it was. Like they could have tried to incorporate some of those characters at least into those movies because they knew where that was going to go. Because I mean, even Agent of Shield still is off right now and doesn't start until the summer after endgame yeah right yeah. so and uh and just with shield itself like i don't really like all right i'll just, a couple things here okay. so to go for your point about the slow start i mean it, it was a slow start and, and i definitely feel that way but a lot of that was spent because they were trying because they were just spinning their wheels until the captain america stuff happened so they had to kind of like at least establish characters but they knew they couldn't really do anything until or at least do anything cool <laughs> yeah. Until until that whole twist came, so that was unfor- one of the unfortunate things. Because then by then it's like it's like eight episodes in, and then everyone's like, "Oh, this series isn't that good," and it kind of jumped off the bandwagon. So that's just unfortunate for them. But as the show went on, I, I think I was a little disappointed with probably more or less like that they or like this latest season where Shield was essentially just banded. Spoiler alert for the show if you're haven't mm-hmm. watched it or want to so sorry to say it before um but like shield essentially is no more right so i i think that's a huge loss because if they would have kept shield around then they could have u- used them to keep going and in- back and forth and like maybe have them show up in the movies like a little bit later on yeah but, yeah um that's a whole other thing <laughs> i know Another point, which is uh, something that people have been talking about, which still hasn't come to fruition yet, but it's uh, potentially still in development phases, is the lack of a Black Widow film. Now, depending on who you talk to, it's either something that, you know, a lot of fans really want or something that no one really cares about. It wasn't until, I think, was it Joss Whedon's, like, uh, script and... uh, Scarlett Johansson's performance in that film sort of turned her into someone that you was just like, okay, you know what, yeah, I want to see more of you. Like, um... We got to see in um, that film and Winter Soldier just more of her, um, you know, spy-based skills. Beyond the fact that she can like take people out in very creative ways, you can see that like you know, was it? She's a person that like you know 
was smart she thought a few steps ahead she's very you know was it isolated like uh thinks um you know was it about the mission does what she needs to do has many secrets and you know was it doesn't trust many people and has a very like you know is it close connection to only a handful of people that she works with especially after winter soldier i was like I like this lady, I want to see more of her, a spy based adventure with her would be very very interesting, but you know, Marvel have their roadmap, and I've never faulted them for like, you know, is it doing what they do, um, because at least like what, 8 to 9 times out of 10 has always turned out pretty good, but with the um, way in which the uh, film landscape has changed, and especially in this sort of like, um, world that we live in now where like you know is it, it's all about equality and like trying to see like you know is it for more female representation in a lot of things especially in the superhero genre and especially after wonder woman sort of beat like black widow to the punch as a character who had you know shown up before you know shown up after her but like you know only had like one film appearance um and then got her own film and then like made such a massive amount of money it was just like damn like you know is it marvel like you know is it i understand that you guys have their schedule and like you know is it have their vision but you definitely sort of miss the boat when like you know potentially being like the first uh, notable female like superhero film in this like current climate of superhero films and we have like talked now of there being like you know writers and potential directors that were you know going to come on and do this film but you know time is ticking and while you know, so I'm assuming there'll still be interest for a Black Widow film in the next few years. Again, like time is a factor, and with so many other characters showing up, even Captain Marvel now eventually showing up for the you know Marvel Studios, people want to see it, and it's just a tad frustrating that it's taken so long for them to get to this point. But you know, maybe that's just me or some other people online, which I can tell you there's a number of them. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. Um, I think the thing is, I guess me personally, I, like I never thought about it uh, until it was brought up, and I was like, oh yeah, that's a good point. You're right. Uh, but I, I would love to see her have her own film, mostly because Scarlett Johansson has been great so far as Black Widow, and uh, and and they, it could build off of kind of what they did in Winter Soldier, just in terms of the tone yeah. of like her kind of a movie, and have like the spy thriller type of thing uh like it could either be set in the current timeline kind of like like where like when like how they've done for most of their films where they come out in sequential order essentially but they could also do a movie with like her and maybe have hawkeye as at least as a part of it um and and go back to the whole mission in budapest that was brought up in avengers oh yeah yeah and kind of show that like that'd be fun it would be nice um a lot of people have just said like there's a uh, Hawkeye and a few other like you know supplementary characters that they could have taken like you know from Shield, because um, uh, there's a lot of people that have wondered whether this would take place back in the day or if it would be an origin film or if it take place at current times and then have flashbacks. There's a lot of really interesting ideas that you could do for this. And again, after seeing what uh, you know the Russos were able to bring with their uh, you know film techniques and obviously having like some of the guys from um, what you call it the John Wick films work on some of the action sequences especially in Civil War I was just like yo man like um, there is a lot of really fun and interesting stuff you could do with it um, I just want to see it happen I want to see it happen before I die so that'd be fun moving on now this is another thing that I thought I'd bring up just because I heard a few people like you know talking about this over the years and that's not making 
better use of some of the heroes in solo films, aka crossovers. Now, after the Avengers, I don't know about you, Drew, but online, after you saw films like, um, especially Iron Man 3 and uh, Thor The Dark World come out, there was a lot of talk about, okay, how are these guys just gone back to just, you know, going on solo adventures and, um, you know, with these sort of crazy events going down, would they not just, you know, think to call someone and ask for help? Now I understand that some of these events are taking place at the same time or at, like, different times, but at different points in, you know, at the world or, like, obviously in space. So some of these guys obviously don't have each other's numbers so they can't just run over and, like, say, yo, come help me out. Like, you know, I'm fighting the Mandarin or something or, uh, you know, the Convergence is happening. Tony, like, you know, I could use a tech, but... Is one of those sort of things where it started to happen a little bit more in uh, Phase 2. Like, with Ant-Man, seeing Falcon in that film was a really nice, like, surprise for me. Um, because, again, he's, like, a notable character from another film who's just shown up now. And you feel like he's part, he's starting to become integrated into, like, you know, the cinematic universe. And having him interact with the main hero of this current film makes it feel like there is that cohesion, like these characters are all operating within the same area. Even at the end of Iron Man 3 where you saw like uh, Tony obviously trying to uh, tell his life story to Bruce Banner and he's just sort of falling asleep. That was nice. And some people have just argued that while it doesn't have to be like main cast members, you know, there's certain points where there's, um, it just felt like certain points where there were certain characters that just weren't probably doing anything at the time that could have just like, you know, come in to help. So just not making use of um, some other heroes when some other solo films are happening, I've heard is just one of the sort of potential complaints. As me personally, I think this is a silly complaint. I think this is people just finding stuff to whine about. Because you don't... Yeah, I mean, you could be like, oh, well, he could just call up his friend. He doesn't need to do that, though. Like, you don't need to always have interconnectivity. Like, I think it's another con right now of, of having so many movies in, in such an expensive franchise yeah. as the MCU is that there's a big backlog that if you really want to truly understand everything you have to go back and watch and by trying to include as many characters you know across the different movies as you can I think that just makes it more confusing for people to come in and try to just pick up I mean in probably the last I don't know, five, six, seven movies maybe that's really hard to do just because of, like, most of them are sequels anyway in the in the crossover films. But I think the, the less you can try to have those characters come in and confuse new viewers, I think that's better. Right, right, yeah. Um, I mean, like, like, some are necessary. Like, you had, like, Tony Stark in, in Spider-Man, and I think they did that well. I think they clearly set him up as a mentor to peter yeah but if, if you didn't go back and watch the the iron man ones like you wouldn't know who he is yeah and that's the so, thing so i i just think it i think it's a silly argument personally speaking no i get that yeah it's just um it's just one of those sort of things i heard online where i thought i'd like you know just present it and see what um see what you had to say really now since like some of these issues we've sort of covered briefly in like um beforehand i feel like i'm just going to skip a few some of these and just get to some of the other ones um this is something that we mentioned before but it's uh something that a lot of people tend to moan about online which is really interesting the marvel formula the lack in variety in style which is um 
you know, essentially showed up since the Avengers slash uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Now, um, this I can understand. And while I don't think it applies to all Marvel films, and I feel like everybody just likes to say that just because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like one of the largest, most profitable things in the history of existence right now. And, you know, a lot of people just like to hate on things that are popular just because. And Marvel definitely have a fi uh, formula which works. And I can understand if it's not for you, but like, you know, to poo-poo on it just because it's just not your thing and uh, you don't like you don't like it just because, it's kind of silly. But yeah, I can definitely see that the Marvel films have adopted a certain style when it comes to um, the way in which their films are structured, the way in which certain characters go on certain arcs, and the use of humor as well, which we'll get to later on. But especially after the Avengers and uh, Guardians Volume 1, there was a massive... Uh, I, I, yeah, more more of an emphasis on humor bar certain films um, that had I guess a more serious element to it like aka um, Winter Soldier and uh, to a lesser degree Infinity War because that film was a little bit more serious it had humor sure but that film was pretty serious but um, I definitely noticed a lot more of the humor going into like phase two where I felt like I'd seen a few of the jokes beforehand and as much as I like the Marvel films I think by the time we got to uh, probably I don't know, maybe Doctor Strange or something. Even though that film was like, you know, is it unique to itself? There were certain things, again, that I noticed that were like, you know, sort of similar, where I was just hoping that, you know, we'd get a few more zigzags um, when it came to like the way in which the uh, story progressed. But then when you know where the story is going because you're aware of the source material, it's kind of hard to avoid. But yeah, it's just a case by case basis, really. It just depends. I like the formula. I do want a little bit more variation, but Marvel do seem to be aware of that and they do try to change things up from time to time but it's one of the sort of conversations that you hear on the comment section all the time I don't want to watch this Marvel this new Marvel film it looks the same as the others but well I mean if you look at it from Marvel's point of view this formula works I mean they've made billions of dollars on this formula so why would you change it yeah right so like like what's like from a monetary point of point of view there's no reason to change it especially when no matter what they do people are going to come out and watch this and watch their stuff yeah they already have like you know was it the money of people before they even get to the cinema so um yeah pretty yeah. much <laughs> yeah i mean i i just I, so like like from the formula point of view like like i'm with you like i i like it i think it works it's it, it's an effective formula which is why it works so i don't mind it i i kind of like it uh, I think one of my th things is is the the humor aspect uh, that's been adopted since Avengers. Um, like I said before, while it's my type of humor and I like it, it's not needed everywhere. Like like if you look at like Thor and uh, Tony and um, actually no, no ignore Thor. So if you look at Tony, Peter Quill, yeah. and and Doctor Strange. Like their movies are separated by a couple of years. If you look at all three of them, they are have all very similar personalities. They're all the same character pretty much. And then it, even if and then so then when I was going with Thor, if you look at Thor from where he was in his first film to where he was in Thor Ragnarok, he's adopted much more of a of a sense of humor, which is very similar to those three that I had just mentioned. So like just in those four alone, like that's a that's it's all the same character, 
just delivered by different actors. So that's kind of annoying. I mean, especially for like Thor having come from a, a not that way to where he is now. Yeah. Like it's funny. Don't get me wrong. I laughed in Thor Ragnarok. Oh, definitely. But, but like, not every character has to have the same sense of humor, which I, which, which is one of the thing, one of the things that I think Joss Whedon recognized was that each character in Avengers had their own style of humor. And, and then I think that they just took, like, the writers and maybe even the directors at some point, or to some extent, I think they took the wrong message from that and were like, oh, this type of humor works. So they applied it to their films. Rather than saying, why did this work? Because they were different. Because they weren't all the same. Uh, so that's just... Yes, I like it, but I, I, I think they're all the same. And that's... And having them and having that lack of variety in the characters really makes the films as a whole feel the same. And like as much, to go with that humor, as much as I like Thor Ragnarok, especially for the the comedy aspect of it, it this is gonna sound weird, but it was too funny. Like it didn't know when to kind of reel itself in and, and be dramatic and allow those dramatic moments to 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 linger. And be more be effective. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like like anytime something dramatic happened, almost immediately it was followed by some sort of a joke, which really undercut what the dramatic moment. Yeah, I I'm so glad that you said that because for me, um, back in 2017 when people were talking about their favorite, um, you know, comic book film of 2017, everyone said Thor Ragnarok, and it's like, oh, it's so funny, so funny. And I'm like, yeah, I thought it was pretty funny, but. For all the significant things that happened in that film, Odin's death, uh, you know, Thor lost an eye, you know, Asgard got blown to hell. There was just so many quips and humorous moments that were just uh, there, and I'm just like, any drama that you had in this film sort of just feels like it's just washed away when someone just has a, you know, another throwaway line to, you know, drop in. And people said that this was a complaint that they had in um, Avengers: Age of Ultron and to. Uh, I can definitely understand that because like, there were so many moments of uh, so many different characters. I, I can't remember who said it, but there was someone that said that all the Avengers turned into Tony Stark in um, Age of Ultron because there was just loads of people running around like quipping left, right, and center. And um, I can totally yes, absolutely, and I can understand yeah, no, that for sure. And um, uh, it's hundred percent the case. And was it for me the, what really sealed the deal for Ragnarok in terms of like just? the over-the-top humor in the film don't get me wrong Taika Waititi he's really he's good at what he does and the humor when it worked it was good but Asgard getting destroyed it was just like uh, you know Korg is just there like oh yeah you know uh, it'll still be good with the foundation and then it blows up it's like oh yeah it's gone and I'm just like dude man the whole world of Asgard is nothing and you're still cracking jokes oh come on it just it bothered me so much and I know there's probably a whole lot of people out there just like ooh but this is so funny and like you know blah 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 you need levity like you know moments of like uh, drama but there's a time and a place for it and sometimes the humour in these films can just be so ill-timed or just come in an overabundance where it's just like come on man you gotta let the film breathe like let some drama happen yeah I watched I can't remember how long ago it was but I watched a YouTube video that compared a single moment in Spider-Man 2 and Doctor Strange. Yeah. And then he used that to kind of springboard into 
like why the like basically what we're talking about now with like the humor in the in the MCU movies versus like some of the humor in some of the older films but before this giant shared universe started. Yeah. But the moment that that this uh, this guy in this video was using was in in Doctor Strange when he first puts on the cloak and then uh, and then like the music is building it's being dramatic and it's like it's this moment when like he's finally Doctor Strange he's finally the superhero and you see the cloak try to like wipe away a tear as like a joke right oh yeah, yeah. and and he's like stop it stop it stop it stop it and trying to like push him, push him away and then so the scene he was comparing that to in Spider-Man 2 was when so in Spider-Man 2 Peter he essentially like loses powers he voluntarily loses his powers but he loses his powers right oh yeah yeah and then um so then uh, probably through the film he's having this conversation with mary jane in like a, a deli or tea shop or whatever it was and and dr octopus attacks them at this moment he gets his powers back and then the camera is like underneath like at a like knee level looking up at him and and you see him make his fist and and he's peter's got like the serious look on his face and and he looks at his fist and looks up and he he's, he's serious and then he runs after after doc ock yeah so yeah. that's his, that that's his i'm a hero moment in spider-man 2 but in that one there was no dramatic or there's or there was no c- comedic moment to undercut how dramatic that was and so a, a lot of the mcu films especially in phase two and i think in phase three he's got better about it uh, yeah but it uses uh, it uses humor to undercut the dramatic moments and and his argument was it's like it's it's almost as if they don't trust their writing or th- they don't trust that the, the dramatic moments are going to be dramatic enough that they then use these comedic moments to try to get you to laugh yeah, but then it yeah. undercuts everything that they're trying to do in, in terms of being dramatic and 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 I and I I watched that. I was like, that's a really strong argument and very true, and one of the reasons why people don't like it. And for and for, and for comedies, like I, I say this all the time, like comedies are really hard to write for. Uh, it's one of the hardest movie genres to write because all comedies is subjective. Yeah. But what makes a good comedy is that the ones that you can laugh at over and over and over and over again. Like I've seen Airplane probably like a billion times. That film is amazing. (laughs) Right. But even knowing those jokes, I still laugh every time. And but some but some of these these Marvel films, like I don't laugh the way I used to at them. Like I'll chuckle and I still think they're funny, but not to the not to the degree that I that I used to think they were funny. Oh yeah, yeah. I can totally see that. Yeah, so they just um they just undercut themselves way too much sometimes and and the humor is it can be predictable unfortunately and the and the jokes just they're funny but they just don't hold up sometimes or last yeah yeah because i feel like um you have that honeymoon period with the film especially like um most marvel films i found like uh at least even the humorous ones only work up until maybe the third viewing and by that point you'll be lucky if there's still like a gut wrenching laugh out loud moment i think was it for me there was just um probably civil war and um ant-man are two of my favorite like ha 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 experiences i've seen in the uh with a film which still kept the funny factor going even after the second and third viewing 
because even with the Avengers, I think was it that worked only twice, and then afterwards, uh, some of the moments just don't work as well. Yeah, like uh, for your example, you uh, mentioned uh, Airplane as a film that you've watched no- numerous times that you could still find funny. For me, that's Ghostbusters. I could watch Ghostbusters forever, and I think I'd never get bored of it. I'd still laugh at the same stuff. I mean, even quotes like, um, you know, was it, I can remember in my head, I just say every t- once in a while, and it still makes me laugh, so I just love it. So, um, yeah, um, humor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a very tricky thing. Like you said, it's subjective, and there's certain things that you may find funny that some other people don't, and vice versa. And as long as they're a little bit more strategic about it, and just know when it's necessary, but then also just know where to calm it down, I think they'll be fine. But, yeah, it's definitely a, a sticking point. Okay, so the next, since we sort of covered, like, you know, is it um, the lack of stakes and risk-taking already, I'm going to squash those and then talk about the music again. So, yeah, music. One of the things uh, that people like to say about the MCU films is that they lack memorable music, and to a degree, they're not wrong. While I have a lot of love for, um, again, Avengers, Black Panther, Ant-Man, uh, Doctor Strange and Infinity War. Um, the majority of their films do lack a certain sort of like you know, is it distinctiveness, and don't make as best use of like the uh, the composers that they do. And I did watch this um, YouTube video on it, which went into a little bit more detail about why the Marvel Cinematic Universe has like a sound issue when it comes to the soundtracks. And he said because. Um, I really can't remember what it's called, I think it was Symphonic something something, but yeah, if you look up Marvel soundtracks issues on YouTube, there's a guy that does a very good um, description about it, and he said because Marvel have a uh, specific way they want these things to be done, and they have like a uh, a thing called temp tracks, where they basically give you like a, uh, I guess a version of the music that they want you to go about and make for the film, so they'll give you a temporary version, they want you to make a, a version of that. And some of these tracks that they've chose for like some of these sequences was just dull or just, you know, very generic. Just there's not really much flavor and feeling to them. And if you go back to comic book films just before, you know, was it the MCU started or, you know, was it some that may have just come out just afterwards? You have soundtracks from um, now. When it comes to John Williams and his original Superman film, I think that was way before comic book films were even a thing. As Superman, even though he's a comic book character, he does, he, it's not the same sort of superhero film the same way that they were when they started coming out, like, you know, out of the woodwork from 2000 onwards, with, you know, with X-Men and Spider-Man and so on and so forth. And, you know, competing with John Williams as a composer is sort of just like, you know, impossible. In his heyday, when he created the original Superman theme song, which is like one of the most notable film piece of music or music in general and pop culture that's kind of hard but you know you've got uh films like the x-men films spider-man and uh you know the dark knight trilogy and uh even more recently wonder woman with her theme song which is more of a notable jingle with a pretty intense guitar but pretty good either way and danny elfman's like you know original batman 89 theme song as well there are a lot of films with notable theme songs that came out prior to the MCU and they've not really been able to produce as many notable soundtracks and theme songs for these characters as uh, much as some of the films that have come beforehand. So besides the Avengers, which is the most notable theme, which they've definitely started to capitalize on in Infinity War, the way in which they utilized it in that film was bloody perfect. Some of the characters in these films just have theme songs that are sort of more embedded in the uh, closing credits than actually in the film and they don't really feature as many heroic and notable and unique elements 
that could help elevate them higher than they are. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to go with you on this one because I, uh, I don't have much to say on the music. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, like I said before, like I think I only really notice the good ones, uh, and so maybe the fact that I've only noticed a handful really makes uh, is a strength to your point of they just haven't had many good ones. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess the uh, final topic, which is sort of one that sort of meshes three of these, would be uh, another issue that was, I guess, more prevalent in uh, phase one and two, not so much in this uh, current phase of the MCU, is the setting up of uh, future films and current films, the references to uh, basically other Marvel films and the current ones, and creating films that only exist as a continuity for the cinematic universe so rather than creating a uh, a singular film that could be watched and understood and interpreted without having seen any of the prior films marvel um if you look at their extensive catalog of 20 films so far only have a handful of films that you could watch as a solo film and be able to understand what the story is from point a to b to c and uh, you know not have any questions about who this person is why they're referring to this and what's the significance of this character because they seem to be treating them as a big deal but we don't know where they came from because the Marvel Cinematic Universe now it's become a massive long-running TV series as someone put it online where each new film is basically a new episode which has like callbacks to the previous one and like sets up for future things as well and I remember was it there was a big hullabaloo especially about Iron Man 2 way back when because that felt like just a uh, Avengers setup with like you know the introduction uh, introduction sorry of uh, Black Widow there was the um, you know references to uh, Captain America and Thor and um, you know the use of Nick Fury and Shield and stuff like that which had a much bigger role than it did in the last one and um, you know if you watch a film like uh, Civil War which is part of the Captain America Captain America trilogy that film cannot be watched as a trilogy without having seen at least the Avengers and possibly one of the Iron Man films and Age of Ultron just to get the context of why these characters have gotten to this point having to battle each other because some of these people just appear out of nowhere and you're just like okay who's this why are they talking about this event blah 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 and yeah Marvel are a lot better now about like you know is it um planting seeds that will have like you know future repercussions later on but um Especially in phase one and two, there were just points where you were just like, okay, I see why this is here, but it's only just a setup. This character or setup this film, and we're not just talking about post-credit scenes, we're just talking about scenes in the film that really just didn't need to be there. So besides, I don't know, maybe Iron Man, Black Panther, and uh, possibly the first Avengers, I mean, you don't necessarily need to have seen that one in order to um, get what's going on, even though like the extra characters do help with the context. Um, but yeah, besides probably those three, for me, everything else sort of just feels like um, you need the extra context. Maybe the first uh, Ant-Man, actually. You can get away with that. Yeah, I was actually about to say that I think Ant-Man is fine, too. Um, but this is actually kind of one of the things I was talking about earlier. Is it just as cool as it is that they've had this roadmap to connect them together? Like, this thing, this whole thing is a double-edged sword. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. It's cool. It's cool, and it's awesome that they've thought all this out, and that there are these things to pick up for if you've seen all of them and you get the full context. But, unfortunately, that means if you're just jumping in or you, you like you want to watch one without having seen some of the others, it's really hard to do. 
I think one of the biggest places I really had an issue for this, in terms of like trying to set up future movies, yeah, is with Age with Age of Ultron, because there's like a good like entire act in that movie where everybody kind of went off and did their own thing that set up some movies. Like one, like Thor had his own thing that, that set up Ragnarok. There was the whole thing in Wakanda that set up, um, or at least that established Wakanda for him to show up in Civil War and then oh, yeah, for Black yeah. Panther to have his own movie. There's like one or two other things that that happened in that movie that I'm like, okay, this is cool and very clearly setting up other movies, but it's detracting from this movie. Yeah. And like that's and that's a whole other thing of that I just that I have trouble with movies in general of when they play to the franchise and not to their movie. Um, I mean, I guess that one's kind of okay because it's like it, you've already established the franchise having been through two phases at that point yeah uh, but like it takes away from that film and like if you if i wanted to just go and watch age of, age of Ultron right now like it wouldn't feel like a standalone um yeah. but there's in terms of like the other movies kind of referencing each other it, it, as cool as it is to have these things show up like without that context it does make these very confusing I mean, like you can do all all the like catching up you want. Like if in your if you're in a movie, somebody shows up, you're like, oh yeah, this person did this thing and so and so. Like that's fine, but then you're like isolating your or like you're just regurgitating information to fans that already know that. And if you spend too much time on it, then it kind of bugs them. So it's it's it it can be difficult, and and it, I I agree that it's that with. The MCU being as big as and expensive it is, it's really hard to just jump into. Yeah, definitely, man. It's just um, it's a tricky thing because uh, as cool as it is to uh, see this interconnected universe all come together and have like these uh, you know, subtle and not so subtle references. Say like um, with Civil War, when you get to see like uh, William Hurt back as Thunderbolt Ross. There's a whole lot of people in the cinema. I remember just like, "Yo, man, we ain't seen that guy for eight years. Where you been, Ross? What's going on, boy?" So, um, you know, there's loads of people hyped to see him back because he's part of the Hulk continuity that's been essentially swept under the carpet. There's been no connective tissues to that film since I think maybe just what some minor like dialogue pieces in the first Avengers film. But for those who aren't aware of who he is that context is lost and I mean it's not that much of a big deal just because there wasn't really that much going on with him you know that would make people want to you know ponder like where he came way where he came from all that sort of stuff because there wasn't that much allusions to the first whole movie but when you've got like say like you said Age of Ultron which pretty much relies on you having seen not only the first Avengers film but uh, also seen like um, you know Winter Soldier and uh, Iron Man three to an extent because that film almost acts like Iron Man 3 didn't happen but yeah there's just certain points where you're like oh yeah well you know what's the significance of um Falcon why is he here and why why are these guys like you know fighting together saying that they've been doing this stuff for the last two years um oh yeah remember this scepter remember what happened in the last film like no I didn't see that one so uh I've had numerous friends and like certain family members saying that they didn't see xyz fell in between like certain ones and they're just like i felt lost and i'm like that's because you had to watch these other ones and I'm like but i can't be bothered so it depends on what kind of film goer you are because um you know with the marvel cinematic universe as great as it is it sort of painted itself into a a corner where you have to adhere to the way in which these films come out in order to 
get a sense of continuity and what's going on and it can just be a little tedious but yeah it's it's a thing <laughs> and i believe with that this conversation is finally over <laughs> i believe that we have covered like the pros and cons in the way in which i had initially hoped in a comprehensive yet casual way and thanks to the wonderful drew here we've been able to have like you know an interesting perspective like you know brought to this that some of these points i wouldn't have actually covered or actually forgotten so like you know is it drew thank you for being here and like you know is it and helping me like you know is it whittle my way through this whole thing it's been fabulous to have you back man yeah you're welcome it was great to be back so ladies and gentlemen, I want to pass it over to you. What do you think of the pros and cons of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Do you agree or disagree with our points? And if there's anything that we didn't bring up in this episode, what do you believe should be addressed? Please be sure to comment in the comment section below or hit me up via email where I am at the hypersonic 555 at gmail.com. Almost had to remember my email account for a second there. And then you can also reach me on Twitter where I'm at hypersonic 55 or at filmfocus55. And also be sure to check out the uh, blog post. Um, not blog post, the blog, the WordPress blog, <laughs> hypersonic55.wordpress.com. And you can also find Drew out there on the interwebs. Drew, if you'd like to plug where you can be found on the internet, please. So my blog is at drewreviewmovies.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter uh, at Drew to the Future, or I'm also on Facebook at Drew's Movie Reviews. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you should be checking out Drew's stuff. He's got some beautiful things going on in that blog, and I'm always surprised about the amount of different uh, types of stuff you can find in this blog, especially the uh, trailers that he requires. And, um, some of these films I've never even heard of or seen, or he reminds me that I've just seen it, so I dropped by a blog just to comment on it. And uh, right now you have a blogathon going on, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm co-hosting it with Kim from Tranquil Dreams. Uh, it's it's our annual Ultimate Decades blogathon. Our highlight our highlight decade this year is the, the 2000s. So all the entries they were released between the years 2000 and 2009. Uh, we've had some pretty um, varied entries so far, so uh, a bunch of different genres and just types of movies in general, really. So it's been really fun so far, and uh, I think you'll find something there that you like, whether like no matter what your tastes are. Nice, nice. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, check it out, and that's not only just because I contributed to it myself, but... Um, because there's been some really interesting entries. I haven't been able to comment on all of them or any at all, to be honest. I've been mainly just observing from, like, you know, the shadows. But there's been definitely been some interesting uh, varied entries that I'm adding to my watch list. Um, so, yeah, have a look, man. And check out Drew on uh, his social media links and, obviously, his uh, website on uh, WordPress. Because he's good. He's real good. So... With that all being said, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to bring another episode of Film Focus to a close. Thank you for listening. And yeah, please be sure to check out the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. More ratings and viewings and uh, subscriptions would be helpful. Thank you. Please and thank you. So until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Hypersonic 55 and uh, Drew signing out. Peace. See ya.